So we're going through the book of James, so we're finishing chapter 1, and we started last week in verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So we didn't get to that last phrase, unstained by the world. Um, and the reason that I chose the particular verses that I read is it's going to help us define a particular term, the world, and what it means to be worldly. So let's, uh, let's start with this, to keep oneself unstained by the world. Before we move away from that passage, just notice this is something that the Lord says we have to do. This isn't done for us. This isn't a statement that says the Lord will keep you unstained from the world. This says you are to keep yourself unstained by the world. And so we need to recognize right off the bat that this is a, this is a choice that we have. And this morning we want to talk about, well, what does this mean to be unstained by the world and how do we do it? So first of all, let's define our term world. Uh, in the Bible, the world can mean, when the word world is used, it can mean three things, primarily. It can mean the planet, Earth, the, you know, that, that we live on, that's the world. It can refer to the inhabitants or the people of the world, created by God, but who have fallen into sin. And then it can also refer to the system or the mindset that exists in the world with regard to its morality, its beliefs, its attitudes. Uh, the world then becomes a term for a, a way of thinking and a way of living. So let's take an example where the word world is used, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. Now, is that the planet? So is this like an environmental statement? Uh, is it the planet? Is it the people? Or is it the philosophy? It's the people, obviously. Number two, God so loved the world that he gave, and that's referring to people. This is not the world's system of beliefs or behaviors, but rather the people of the world. Here's a verse out of John 1.10. Christ was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Three times the word world is used. Uh, he was in the world. What might that refer to? The planet, earth. He came to earth, and the world was made through him, earth, and the world did not know him, people. Okay, so when, when you come across the word world, sometimes it's, it's not always negative, but uh, it can be. When James says we're to keep ourselves unstained by the world, obviously he's not talking about getting your shoes dirty or something like that. He's talking about being affected by the philosophy and the mindset and the, the system that is referred to by the term world. Here's 1 John 2.15. Here's, here's this verse. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So John 3.16, God loves the world. 1 John 2.15, he tells us, don't love the world. What's the distinction between those two? People on the first example, philosophy on the second. We are not to love the way the world thinks and does things and believes. We're not to love that. But we are to love, like Jesus did, the people in the world who hold those beliefs and that way of thinking. We are to be different from the people of the world in the sense that we're not to act like them or to be conformed to their philosophy of thinking. Here's some warnings again. This is what we call worldliness. Worldliness. Basically, living your life in conformity to the way the world lives around you. The world as the system of uh, beliefs and that unbelievers hold. And uh, James, uh, or excuse me, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. What would that, what would that tell us? Do not be conformed to this world. What's that, Joe? Yeah, the world system again, okay? Okay, it doesn't necessarily mean we're not supposed to dress like people in the world dress, though there are some limits on that, or that we're, you know, we're supposed to somehow look different, but we're really talking about the way we think about things and our morality. 1 Corinthians 3.19, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. James 4.4, 4, which we'll get to uh, probably a couple months, James chapter 4, says whoever would be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So that's a pretty strong statement. You, you, it's, and it's pretty much an either or. If you're going to be a friend of the world, now not again, we're not talking about people. We're talking about worldliness, ungodly thinking, that kind of thing. And James uh, is our verse, says we're to keep ourselves unstained by the world. So what is worldliness? What are we talking about? Well, the verses that Rick read all describe for us this is what it means to be worldly. And there's a whole gamut of attitudes and descriptions and actions that were represented in those, I don't know, eight or nine or ten verses. What is worldliness? In the old days, <laughs> well, when I was growing up, in my old days, worldliness was you didn't dance, you didn't smoke, and you didn't drink beer. Because if you did, you were worldly. And we put this emphasis on worldly actions and activities. In fact, my brother was a pastor in Maine for a number of years. Uh, so I was in Oregon, he was in Maine. In Maine, they took it a step further. If you went bowling, that was worldly. Do you know why? Because the bowling alley served beer. So it's kind of that guilt by association thing. So we've tended over the years to kind of define worldliness in terms of some things that are not really mentioned in that whole list of verses that Rick read. I didn't see anything in there about dancing. 
But I remember getting a note from my mother when our school during P.E. was going to do square dancing. I got a religious exemption by bringing a note home from home saying that it's against our religion to dance. And uh, so we, we took some things that really weren't necessarily biblical and we kind of assumed them under the category of this is what it means to be worldly. Worldliness. I'll just pick out a couple things from some of the verses that Rick read. Included in many, many things, haters of God, haters of good, lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's worldly. To be stained by the world is to live the way the world does in its rebellion against God where your life looks little different from the rest of the world around you even though you are a new creature in Christ and are indwelt by his spirit now to be stained means that there may be just a portion in your life where you're living according to the world rather than according to the spirit just a particular area but in that area you've become stained by the world now you embrace the beliefs, the philosophy, the mindset, or perhaps the behaviors of the world. And James 1.27 says, keep yourself from being stained by the world. What are some of the ways that the world can stain you? How does it work? Internet? Oh, bitterness. Okay. Yeah, that is close. <laughs> Internet. <laughs> All right. There are subtle ways the world influences or infiltrates its spirit into our mind. And a big way that it does it today is through media. Music, movies, television, social media all present a particular worldview that for the most part is, if not opposed to godliness, simply ignores it. And to a great degree, the media that we watch or read is brainwashing us. Do you realize that? Go through some of the more popular TV shows or watch the movies or even look at our advertisements. The use of sexual innuendo, displays of nudity, appeals to greed and covetousness, false promises of joy and happiness because of the kind of beer or soda that we drink. Look at how our media views Christians in the Bible, how it normalizes immorality, displaying it as something normal, acceptable, and even good. Listen to the lyrics of the music. Look at the dress of the stars. Um, nudity in the Bible is something that was always associated with shamefulness. And there's very little shame in it today. Motherhood and marriage is not shown as honorable. Lying. People will lie to get what they want. They will slander. And even though they know it's a lie, they will still use it for their own selfish means. And many Christian young adults have unwittingly embraced some of the world's values, especially as it relates to moral issues. 
Here's the rebellion of the world. God who created all things is the one who made the rules for life and living. And the intent of God's creation is to display his glory, especially through mankind. Man in his sinful state does not want to obey God's rules or even acknowledge God's existence. Instead, he creates a God in his own image to be just like him. Major findings concerning, okay, so these are the results of some studies that have been done over the last decade or so. Major findings concerning the nature and impact of sexual content in mainstream entertainment media in the years 2000 to 2015 indicate that sexual content is prevalent in mainstream media appearing in 85% of movies and 82% of television programs. Portrayals of sex and sexual relationships, 59% of music videos, 37% of music lyrics. One type of sexual content, however, that is consistently minimal or absent in present-day media is that which gives any indication of risk or consequences to sexual choices. So what that's saying is the media that you watch, the secular media, okay, with the, 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 the mainline movies, Netflix, all of those things, and I, I, I know you don't have to look at very many to realize this is true. Portrayals of immoral sexual relationships are prevalent and very seldom do you see any indication in the media that there's any consequences for those immoral relationships. So, um, what they're trying to determine is, is the presence of sexual, or I'll just use the word immoral relationships in the media, does that have an effect on the way people think about it? In other words, is there a connection between what my children are watching or my teenagers on TV and the way they begin to think about those particular issues. So they start with a hypothesis when they do these studies, and that's what they want to find out. So first of all, it's pretty prevalent. The second thing is, does it make any difference? And what they've concluded is that, <laughs> just, just a general statement, the significant results suggest that there is, in fact, an effect on young adults due to the consumption of sexual content in television and film. And what the effect is, is that it begins to be looked upon as something normal, acceptable, and sometimes even positive or good. And so what's happening is that the world, through these channels of media, are subtly 
influencing our young people to think about moral issues that the Bible declares to be immoral. And it's, it's, it's causing them through just gradual but subtle um, effect, it's, it's conforming the way they think to the ways of the world. 85% of films, varying degrees, certainly, but nevertheless, um, it, you're, you're uh, even, you don't even have to watch movies, just commercials. Just commercials. They, they target certain areas. And it's not all about immorality. Some, sometimes it's simply about greed. But that's a big tool in terms of how Christians become stained by the world as we begin to embrace the world's view of how things should be in contrast to what God says how things should be. This is how the world can stain us. Now, I would like you to turn to Ephesians 5:25. Okay, well, let's go back to the Bible. Done with the uh, done with the analysis and the uh, surveys here. Uh, godly biblical worldview and morality, essentially any more, is only being found in the home and in churches, and and in not all churches either. But th those are the only places now that you're you're going to be uh, exposed to that. That's what makes uh, like a release time program so important. So what is release time? Release time is uh, so Dean will take a group up to McKenzie Schools Elementary School. Parents have given permission for their children to leave school for an hour and during that hour or two hours a week, uh, actually legally. And uh, we can take those kids and teach them uh, the, the gospel and, and tell them about Jesus, things they can't be told in school. And, uh, and so uh, th the places where, where the truth of the gospel and the truth of the word is uh, made available to our, to our children and young people today is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, it's not going to be in the schools. It's, you, your government's not going to support you in it. It's, it's going to be in the home and in Bible-believing churches. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. When you read through the Bible and you come into the New Testament, you find that the Lord Jesus Christ, by his blood, has made us pure. So there's an, a number of statements in the Bible that says, we as believers in Jesus, we are a people who have been made pure. Colossians 1.22, yet uh, Christ has now reconciled you through his fleshly body, through his death, in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and without reproach. So these are just statements. This is what Christ has done for us, and these are the results. 
Um, speaking of Christ again, he chose us, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Titus 2.14. Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for God's own possession. And so the Bible presents us in one way as being a people who are pure and clean. We have been cleansed of our sin, and sin is often referred to in terms, well, sometimes referred to in terms of a stain. So when it says be unstained by the world, we're talking about sinful actions, attitudes, behaviors of the world. Those stain us. But we are a pure people. God has made us pure, and he sees us that way in his eyes, and uh, that's what makes us acceptable for him. There was a time in Jesus' ministry when he was on earth, and he, he takes a, a pan of water, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. You remember that? And he comes to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any place with me. And then Peter said, well, then wash me, wash all of me. And Jesus says, Peter, it says, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And, of course, he's referring to Judas on that last statement there. But he says to Peter, Peter, you're already clean. I've made you clean. Later on in John 15, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So the Lord has made us clean. That's the, that's the effect of the blood of Christ being applied to our sin. It's like the Lord referring to us as saints or holy people. That's how God determines, or that's how God, uh, that's what God says about us. And that's why I like that song that Chris introduced a number of months ago, I am who you say I am. Because a lot of times we don't feel like we're holy, and we don't see ourselves as being clean. But that's what God says about us. But this idea of, so we're clean, and yet we're also warned or, or called to cleanse ourselves. So there's a passive cleansing, which God does to us. And then there's these commands like James 1.27, where there's a, what you might call an active cleansing, where we are expected to act to cleanse ourselves. And it's talking about not the cleansing of our sin for salvation, but the cleansing of the stains that come into our life that when I get to the end of the message, I'll talk about what are the, what are the consequences of being stained. But first of all, listen to these, okay? So James 127, keep oneself unstained by the world. Keep oneself. Whose responsibility is that? That's ours. First John 3, 3, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Who does that? We do. 1 Timothy 6, 14 um, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pilate 
that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. So here's the thing. Christ has cleansed us and made us clean, but while we're here living in the world, we, in this life, can become stained by the world. We become stained by the world when we begin to, when we begin to take on the character or the nature or certain aspects of the world that the Lord would not be uh, approving of. And it's, you know, it, it, it's, they're stains. They're stains. So, is there a cost for a believer to live in worldliness? Okay. You're, you're not going to lose your salvation, thank the Lord. So does it matter? See, here's, here's how I grew up as a Christian. Now that I know the Lord and I know I'm going to heaven, that's, all, that's really all I want out of this deal. You know, uh, What got me to accept the Lord was uh, fear of going to hell. That's where it started. And once I got that, that's all that mattered. And so I lived a number of years uh, in my early adult life um, as a, uh, as a genuine believer, but walking and making worldly choices. Did it matter? And if you've had that experience, you do know that there is a cost to worldliness. First of all, oh, let's, key verse, Philippians 2.15. Let's, everybody turn there. Let's, let's do that. This has got an, an important point in it here. This is the motivation for living godly rather than worldly. Uh, Philippians 2.15. So, so this is what ought help motivate us. Philippians. Well, let's do 2.14 and 15 because they go together. 14 is the one that will get your attention, but I want to call your attention to 15. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. How do you like that one? <laughs> it goes on, though. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God among, above reproach. Here it is. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. This is the motivation and the reason why we don't want to look, act, behave, think like the rest of the world. Why? Because we are called to be lights in the world. And a lot of times, especially with the Apostle John, he uses these images of light and darkness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. If we walk in darkness, um, um, let's see, if we say we know him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we're not telling the truth. Light and darkness. 
we are light in the world. But when we become stained by the world, then we begin to look just like the rest of the world, and, they, and there's no difference. There's no light that's shining. And so the motivation for this especially is that we have been chosen by God to be lights in the world. That's why he left us here. So when I choose to live by the, like the world, I give a false picture of Christ to the world whose name I bear. I invite the discipline of the Lord, which is a loss of blessing in your life, diminished joy and peace. The Lord will not bless disobedience, but he will bless obedience. So there is a cost to worldliness that comes on us in this life, and that's that we lose, to a certain extent, the joy of the Lord. And there's blessings in our life that we could be experiencing that we're not because we have chosen to let the world stain us. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's how you get cleansed when you've become stained. You just confess that to the Lord and you stop whatever it is that you've chosen to do. There's a cost of worldliness and then there's a cost to being godly. 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you choose to live godly, there's going to be a cost. And the cost is the persecution, the scorning, the scoffing that the world will give you. But there's also value to being godly. And that's because when we live in obedience to the Lord, he blesses our life. It's kind of like, uh, I'm not really good at these illustrations, but when I was in high school, I had uh, a car I really was pretty proud of. It was a Studebaker. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, uh, it was a 289 V8. And sometimes, rather than running on eight cylinders, it would only run on six. The car would still run, but it wasn't very efficient. And that's kind of how it is when, when, we're, when we've got one foot in the world and we're being stained by the world You'll still enjoy certain aspects of your life in Christ, but not as many as you could if you were walking in godliness. Yeah, I was going to demonstrate it today by, you know, drinking coffee and spilling it on my shirt, but um, I didn't think I need to do that. You know what a stain is. Um, there's, a, there's a picture. I'll, I'm just about done here, but there's a picture in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. It's in chapter 3. And the prophet Zechariah is given a vision of God in heaven. 
and standing before the Lord is the high priest. And then Zechariah sees in this vision of heaven, standing at the right hand of the high priest is Satan. And Satan is accusing him. And the high priest is described as having soiled garments. Now, the high priest is typically dressed in pure white, but the high priest is, has got dirty garments on. And the angel of the Lord calls out to God, and the Lord calls out to an angel and says, Take the dirty robes off from him and put on robes that are white and clean. That's what's happened to us when Jesus Christ saved us. We were uh, clothed in filthy rags, if you will. But the blood of Jesus Christ is what cleanses our stain. And so that now we stand before the Lord completely free and clean. All of th those verses I read earlier about passive uh, cleansing, the cleansing that the Lord does for us. That's our position in Christ. Here down in the world, basically the Lord is saying, you're the light of the world. I want you to shine brightly. Don't let the world dim your light, so to speak. And the choice is ours. And I, I would just, I would just, this would just be a warning. The things that you watch, your social media, your internet, your, uh, m the movies, the TV shows, Look at them with a critical eye and just make a mental note of how many of those things that Rick read about in all of those verses appear in those kinds of um, presentations. The one area that was mentioned most often in all of those Th that list on the back of your bulletin, that's what we call, that's in, when you do, uh, when you read commentaries and stuff, they call those a vice list, V-I-C-E. But they're basically descriptions of worldliness. And the one that is repeated, I believe, more than all the others, are those ones related to immorality, sexual immorality. That is the biggest stain, probably, that comes into the life of believers uh, committed to Jesus Christ and certainly to those who are outside of Christ. And that is the number one hook that commercial advertisers use to draw people to their product. And it's a stain that we need to keep ourselves free of. And for some people, that may mean I can't see any movies anymore. I'm not going to have a TV. Uh, you, you know, you got to decide what the Lord says you need to do. But you don't want to play with fire and think that I can see these things over and over and over again and they're not going to have an effect. They will have an effect. We're so, we're called to be lights of the world. The song that we just sang talked about being the glory to Christ. And that's why we're here.
That's why God simply didn't save me when I was seven years old and I accepted uh, I accepted the Lord in a good news club. Um, I don't know. Uh, why, why didn't the Lord just take us to heaven the minute we did that? What in the world are we still doing down here? Well, we are the lights of the world. Okay. Jesus described us as a city that's set on the hill that cannot be hid. So let's just take the initiative. The responsibility is ours to keep ourselves free from the stain being stained by the world. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, there is uh, so much temptation around us. Lord, the, the world is, um, we live in it, Father. You've left us here, but you've not left us alone. You've given us the fruit of the Spirit so that we could be the lights to the world that there's a better way. Immorality, neither glorifies you nor is it good for mankind. Sin always is destructive. Father God, we are so grateful that by your divine mercy, someone in our life, maybe years and years ago, Lord, they shared the gospel with us. We thank you now for whoever that person was, that the truth was told, and by your spirit you opened our eyes to receive it. Father, our salvation is a gift from you, and the strength to live in this world system comes from you as well. Father, help us to stand above it in the power of Christ. Remind us, Lord, of why we're here. We are lights to the world. I pray, Father, that we would be cleansed from those stains that would dim that light, whatever they are in our life. Lord, look at our lives. Convict us of those things that belong to the world rather than to you. And help us to rid ourselves of those by an act of the will. Lord, we want our life here on earth to reflect the cleanliness of what you've made us. We are pure. We are holy. We will be presented blameless and without reproach in the day of Christ. Not because we perfected ourselves, but because you've made us perfect by your blood. We owe you everything. Let us love you so deeply that we choose to live our lives in such a way that you would be honored and glorified by our choices. In Jesus' name, amen.